So next Sunday, we will not have service because the church will not be here. <laughs> no, you know what? That gives us an opportunity. So for everyone else, make sure that you invite, you bring people, right? And, uh, and, and we get to tell them where the rest of the church is and they're off serving the Lord. Well, this morning, um, I am not, I have not prepared. I was not moved by the Lord to prepare a, a message of casting a vision for the church or doing anything special in that way. Why? Because as I have been reminded by the Lord, uh, and I had mentioned to everyone in the meeting prior to service, is that that vision has already been cast. And it's not by me. You see, it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. And his vision, without a vision, the people perish, right? That's what the Bible says. But did you know that what that is referring to is the word of God? That's not, that's not my vision. That's not anyone else's specific vision. Without the vision, without the very word that God provides, the people perish. So I don't have anything new for you. Today's simply a continuation of what the Lord's already doing, what he has done. We acknowledge his faithfulness. We acknowledge how good he is and, and that he is trustworthy. He is praiseworthy. Oh, he is glorious. And this morning we will continue our study through the book of 1 John. And at the same time acknowledge that in 2022, the Lord has gone above and beyond what we could ever think or imagine. As we consider, I, I was thinking even prior to this Sunday, um, the Lord, not only this last year, we got to enjoy a little bit more space in here. It was a year ago, a little over a year ago, that the Lord um, provided for us and we were able to come into like an additional portion of this building, right? And then not only that, so now... In preparation for this Sunday, we knocked down a wall in between uh, two classrooms. And, uh, and so if you peek your head into the classroom, uh, just off to the right as you go out the sanctuary, you'll see that the classroom is a little bigger and so that it's a little bit more spacious for the kids. And uh, it's just uh, truly um, amazing what the Lord does and how he provides. He's so faithful. He's so good. And... Um, Last night, we were able to come together as a church, and we enjoyed fellowship and, and uh, a lot of laughs, uh, but at the same time, we, we got into the Word, and we were stirred up, and then we also shared some testimonies, right? Just simply uh, telling of how good the Lord has been and what we expect for Him to do this year. So <clears throat> with that, let's go right into our text. We're in First John chapter 3. We're covering this morning verses 11 through 18, and the title of this morning's message is, By This We Know Love. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. 
and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we consider that which we have just read, Lord, we see the contrast, the, the difference between the one who is walking under the power of the devil and he who is truly walking under the authority and the lordship of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, I ask, Lord, that as we come to understand that love that you have for us, that we would demonstrate it towards each other. Therefore, not only proving that we belong to you, but that we desire to bless you, to glorify you, to honor you, Lord, with our lives. Because we have hearts that are filled with gratitude, filled with joy and a hope that goes beyond anything, any circumstances, any difficulties that we can encounter in this life. Why? Because we belong to you. And Lord, one day we will see you in all of your glory. And so, Father, speak to us this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would, you would do a mighty work. We thank you, Lord, for this moment, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You know, John continues to distinguish the child of God from the child of the devil. The child of God knowing eternal life and the child of the devil knowing eternal condemnation. In fact, in verse 10, it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. First of all, we need to understand the dam does not practice righteousness. And we learned that. A couple weeks ago, we went over that and we, we were reminded of the fact that those who practice unrighteousness, those who practice that which is wicked, which is evil, are those who, are, who remain in their sin and remain condemned. It's interesting as I typed out the word damned, that it gave me, you know, in Word, um, they give you little notes. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. I spelled it right. So why is it that it's giving me a little note? So I, I, I went and I put my cursor over it, and it said, this word may be offensive to the reader. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The damned, if that's offensive to you, then know that God, God is a God of confrontation, 
but he's a God of confrontation because he wants us to realize that our sin separates us from God. He does not want us to remain there. And so he wants to communicate to us. He wants to explain to us how it is that we are separated from God. And if we remain in our sin and remain unrepentant, then we are already condemned and we are damned to hell. And so at the same time, it's offensive. We should realize that it's, it's God's love. It's helping us understand this is what is true. Because secondly, the damned does not love his brother, does not practice righteousness, and does not love his brother. And the type of love that John is referring to is defined in the verses that we just read. We read through them in verses 11 through 18. They were defined by God through his word. This morning we will know what love is. Know what love is not also. And know that the only way we can love in this manner, this agape love, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thus know that we have eternal life as we practice these things, as we desire to follow through with this type of love. At the same time, I want to make sure that we understand that knowing this godly love does not mean that we overlook sin. It does not mean that we do not hate what God hates. That's the type of love that the world defines. Oh, just, you know, I I even saw a a comment that was made about another church. And in one of the comments, and they were basically putting it out there for, as as a promotion for, for the church. And it says, I love that God and the church accepts me for who I am. And it was implying that they were just accepted in their sin. Of course, the Lord accepts us and receives us as we are, but he doesn't desire that we remain in that place. He cleans us up. He What he expects is as we come to know the truth, that we love him so much that as we were reminded of by Jamie, delayed obedience is disobedience. And if we love him, we will obey his commandments. As Jesus said very clearly, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. And so I want to make sure that we understand that that this kind of agape, this kind of godly love does not mean that we overlook sin, that we do not hate what God hates, and it doesn't mean that we don't take action in a just and fair manner, according to God's word. Because God is love, but God is also just. What we will learn this morning is that this godly, godly agape love, by which we know we have eternal life in Christ, is a love that acts for the benefit of others and for the glory of God at the expense of our own lives as living sacrifices. Oh, he is worth every ounce of energy that I have, every breath that he gives me, 
The reason why is because he gave his son for you and me. We belong to him. We've been purchased with his shed blood. And for us, eternal life, life itself, is found in Jesus Christ. As I thought about whether I should again prepare a special message for the new year or prepare a message to continue our study through this letter, 1 John, I was struck by the thought that this is exactly what the church needs to clearly know and be reminded of and practice, and exactly what the world is in desperate need of seeing and knowing. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, our Lord desires that the world would know that we belong to him. Why is that so important? Because it is important. In fact, we are supposed to be sanctified or consecrated unto him, separate from the world and separated unto the service and glory of God. Why? Because as we reflect a godly character, as we express an obedience toward the Lord, it serves as a testimony. We serve as witnesses of who God is. Matthew 5.16 says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We do not boast in our works. We do not boast in what we do. But we ask in that time as we serve the Lord, we hope and pray that perhaps one person We'll see how much we love the Lord and desire the same thing. That others may desire to know that peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, that's why it's important for us as we're going through trials, as we're confronted with difficult issues, that we express that peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is very clear. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That, that peace is supposed to be expressed and, and be known in the midst of difficulties. It's in those times. It's not when times are good. When times are good, it's easy, right? How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, everything's fine. I'm at peace. I'm whole, right? But what about when things aren't going so well? That's when it matters. That others may see that peace that you possess and think, how? How? Why? It's inexplicable. I want that. It's that others may desire to know the joy we possess. Or that they may see something that goes far beyond happiness. You know, happiness comes and goes. I mean, I'm talking about that which 
perhaps we get when we buy a new car. You know, you buy a new car and you're done with it like a week later. You're like, okay, it's my transportation. You've gotten used to the new buttons and all of that. And, and then it's like, it's transportation. You're happy for a little bit and then you're done. It's, it's other things that you, that you buy, that you get, that you accumulate Even vacations, trips, they're good at the time. And of course, we need, to, we need to, sometimes we need to take a break, right? Just go and just relax. But is that, is that something that is lasting? Not, not even that, right? Like, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's not just a momentary happiness, it's a lasting joy. It's a lasting, it's different. That others may desire the hope that we know in Christ. You know, in today's world, uh, I mean, our political climate, economic state, in the, the division that we have with each other, the lawlessness that we're seeing before our very eyes. I mean, all of that. You know, we, we can't place our hope in anything because it's moving. And at some point, it's going to disappoint us. It's not eternal. And, and when people see that hope that you have, and it is not based on circumstances or, you know, if certain things happen, that you'll find contentment. People, I hope, desire that hope that you have. That we have in Christ. So let's get this right. We, we need to, church, we need to get this right. May we learn and apply God's word as it pertains to loving others in a way that brings glory to God and demonstrates to others that we genuinely belong to Jesus and therefore know eternal life. You know, verse 11, John begins by saying, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. You know, the same message, nothing has changed. Remember this one thing about God. He does not change. He is not different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. He's no different in Genesis as he is in Revelation. There's no difference. It's the same God. Because if you're looking for a new definition of love in the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament, you won't find it. It's the same. Or thinking that somehow God accepts what he previously rejected. You know, he's, he's evolved, you know, and uh, he's becoming relevant, re- re- relevant today. Or we have to determine that somehow. No, he's the same. You won't find it in his word because that is not who he is. That's why I keep pointing to the fact that he does not change. He's the same yesterday. He is the same today and will be forevermore. And John wanted to make sure that it was clear that this is no new message. It's what 
He's pointed out, and more importantly, what God has been saying from the very beginning. You know, Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And here's the key. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. You see, the anointed one of God had arrived. He was about to demonstrate a love that went well beyond what anyone could ever express. He says, this is the type of love that the Lord was requiring for us to demonstrate toward one another. What is new is the example Jesus will have given when he willingly sacrifices himself for the benefit of all and for the glory of the Father. Remember that he came to complete, to fulfill the Father's will. His disciples at that time will look back at this statement and understand exactly what he meant by it. Nothing new. In fact, we went over this in 1 John chapter 2. In verse 7 it says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother in the, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And we've gone over this. We went over this. Some weeks ago, from the beginning, we have an example of what not to be like. As we move on from that verse, from verse 11 to verse 12, it says we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So he goes right into, from the beginning, this is the same message to don't be like this. This is not love. The story of Cain and Abel is found in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The Lord regarded Abel's offering, but did not regard Cain's offering. And the way Cain responded was with anger. His face fell. His countenance changed. In verse 5. As we consider this, it's important for us to learn. First of all, it is not God who is wrong. It is not God who did something that was not right. When we get angry and we're confronted by the word of God, we ought to consider what is true, what is right. And the fact that God is sovereign. And think about this too. He has the authority to do whatever he wills. That's a tough pill to swallow. Think about what people in the Bible have gone through. 
Think about Job. Tough pill to swallow. He is sovereign. We trust that he is doing a work in and through us. Then we, like Job, we don't curse him. Naked we came into the world, naked we shall leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, we, we can praise him when things are going well. We tell him, use me. Do whatever it is that you want to do with me. And then he allows something to happen in our li- lives. And we start right away asking, Lord, not, not, not this. I, I didn't mean this. <laughs> we need to acknowledge first and foremost that he is sovereign. And he has the authority to do what he wills. You know, Cain murdered his brother because God had accepted Abel's offering and not his. Think about this. this is, so this was an issue that Cain had with Abel. But really the root of it was his pride and, and anger. That the Lord had received Abel's offering and not his. In his anger, he lashed out at someone else, but did not regard himself. He didn't try to understand why God did not accept his offering. Lord, why is it? Perhaps it's, it, it's something within my own heart. It's, it's maybe, maybe how I offered it to you, what, it, what the offering was. What if he disregards your offering? Would you ask the Lord to test you? Would you ask him, show me? Show me how this has not been a pleasing offering to you. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do we humble ourselves and ask him, Lord, is this, is this something that is, that is not acceptable to you? No matter if you, if you think it is or not, it doesn't matter. Remember, God is sovereign. And he is the one that determines what is acceptable and what is not. We, do, we don't determine that. Cain did not regard the Lord. He didn't regard the warning that he was given. Because God had asked Cain why he was angry. God knew why he was angry. It wasn't because God didn't know. Cain, why are you angry? Because I don't know and I want to understand you. <laughs> no, God already understood Cain. You know why he was asking Cain? The same reason why he was asking Adam and Eve, where are you? To simply confess, to agree. Yeah, I'm not in the right place. God had asked Cain why he was angry and then warned him. And told him, you have a choice to make. God did not make the choice for Cain. But he loved him enough to warn him beforehand. But unfortunately, Cain did not act on what was right, but on what was evil. 
Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The Lord is saying, as he has used John, don't be like this. Don't be like Cain. You see, Cain tried to deflect. He tried to just kind of step aside. and He didn't heed God's warning. He acted on, an, he acted on his emotions and disobedience and in his pride. There was no restraint. There was no discipline in himself, in his thoughts. And his thoughts turned into actions. And they were according to his father, the devil, who is a murderer and a liar. Again, Genesis 4, 7 says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Even in that moment, God was, was telling me, hey, listen, in this moment you have, you, you will have to choose, but Listen, the warning here is so that you will choose correctly. Because he said, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, not, not for good, but to destroy you. But then God said, God said this, but you, you, talking to Cain, you must rule over it. Interesting, right? It's in that moment that Cain had an opportunity to take those thoughts captive, give them to the Lord as the Lord was speaking to him. He was telling them that, that sin was there and ready to pounce on you, to kill you, destroy you. In that moment, he could have chosen to do that which is right. But he did not do that. So that's what we ought to not be like. As Christians, do not be surprised that the world hates you. In John chapter 15, in verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent to me. You see, in what we've just gone over, we should understand one thing very clearly. We shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. But we should be surprised when there is hatred, jealousies, bitterness, anger, enmity, and strife amongst the brethren within the church. That is behavior unbecoming of a Christian, of a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. Those types of things we should confess and repent immediately. Knowing that that is the very scheme of the enemy to try and undermine the very work that he's doing in you individually and corporately in the, in the church. We should guard against that. So not surprised when the world hates you. But be surprised and be ready to do something about hatred and anger and jealousies and, and strife and all of that when it's found within the body of Christ. Know that you have eternal life. As we continue in verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is a, an, an amazing statement of truth. Because while the world knows about passing out of life and into death. And I see that so often. As I also, many of you know that I also work for a hospital. And so I see, I see people coming in and they're very ill. And I see people that die on a regular basis. The world knows this. Passing from life to death. But you know, as Christians, we know something that is foreign to the world. We know about passing from death into life. We need to be reminded of that often too. Because if you're in Christ, you've already passed from death to life. We know that we were once dead in our sin, but are now, are now alive in Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For us as Christians, death is simply a doorway into glory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The question is, how do we know that we have passed from death to life? 
This is what the Apostle John is, is desiring that we know. More importantly, this is what God wants us to understand and realize. Well, one simple thing. Do we express the love towards others as Christ has demonstrated his love toward us? But, Pastor, that's impossible to do. I know. But do you desire that? I I had a different perspective of people before I came to Christ. And it wasn't good. Not at all. It's interesting when, when I knew that I had passed from death to life. The Holy Spirit indwelt me. All of a sudden at that point I had a desire to be in church. I, I could care less about church before that. I thought, man, if I go into church, I'll go for a wedding or a funeral. But to go and just go into sir, I remember my sister inviting me. Nope. That was the last place I wanted to go. But it's interesting. When, when I um, identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelt me. Oh, there was a, a love that was far beyond my explanation toward my brothers and sisters in Christ and then a desire to be in church to serve him and to fellowship it was beyond explanation but we know that at that point that we have passed from death to life when we desire to be with the brethren not that we need a break from the brethren in fact we were just talking my wife and I we were just talking to someone prior to service And we were talking about how it is that when we, on the occasion that we are gone on a Sunday or a Wednesday, oh man, it seems like so long in between services. We think, man, I I need to, we need to get back to church. We need to, we need to be around you. We don't need a break from you. I don't need a break from you. You are my eternal family. Bettina, in fact, reminded us last night when she was sharing a bit that we ought to fellowship even, fellowship even more so as we see the day approaching. Honestly, I mean, I, I just have a deep desire to just be with you, serve with you. Break bread together. God wants to make it abundantly clear that if you hate your brother... If there's hatred in your heart, he goes on, and he wants us to understand this very clearly, then you're a murderer at heart. And therefore, you do not have eternal life. Some people are walking around, they're, they're in church, and they, they profess with their mouths that they're, they're Christians, they're followers of, of Jesus, and yet they harbor hatred in their heart. We see it, it's very clear 
If that's what you harbor in your heart, then you do not have eternal life. There's there's no in-between. Well, you know, I forgive, but I don't forget. Well, what does God do with our sin? And it's something I know that only he is capable of doing. He not only forgives, but he forgets. He, he puts our sin away from it. As far as the east is from the west. Again, Genesis 4-7, and this applies to us. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And it goes on. This is, this is love. Verses 16 through 18. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As Christians, we are to know the love of God in Christ and do the same for others as he did for us. In our English language, we use love, the word love, very loosely, right? We say, we, we look to, you know, some food. We say, yeah, I love tacos, right? Then we go home and tell our wives, I love you. And we tell our dogs, not cats, but dogs, I love you. Okay. <laughs> But love in our language has just different meaning. Right? If we look at the Bible, there's, there's, uh, love is defined. Eros is an intimate love, erotic love. Storge is a familial love, family. Uh, the, the love that a parent has for their children and their children for the parent. Philea is a brotherly love. Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. It's one of friendship and affection toward one another. But then there's agape. This is a a divine love, a godly love. Self-sacrificing, it's unchanging. This love is only possible with God and by his spirit. Because this love is not the willingness to and the act of giving your life as a sacrifice, that is death, on behalf of others only. Otherwise, there would be many people who have known eternal life without ever having confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And from what I see in the Bible, there is salvation to no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We are only saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And not by the giving of our lives. But by the giving of Christ's life on our behalf. Godly 
Agape love is a love that acts for the benefit of others and, and for the glory of God. According to his will, at the expense of our own lives as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This type of love is not dependent on feelings, but rather on willing obedience. That's when it's tough, isn't it? When we're feeling or we're inclined to do one thing, and yet we know. Why? Because we're disciplined in thought, and we know God's word, and so, therefore, we act in obedience, in in alignment with God's word, his will. That's when we're showing, we're we're expressing our love toward God. Oh, I'm not going to trust in what I'm experiencing right now in my own heart, for the heart is deceitful and wicked, who can know it? And so, Lord, I'm, I'm going to, at this moment... And simply be obedient to you. You know, it's the same way Jesus was obedient all the way to the cross. He prayed three times. He asked the Father if there's any other way. Nonetheless, may your will be done, not mine. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. Philippians 2.8 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It wasn't just the death of Jesus on the cross that demonstrated God's love toward us by the way. But actually what it accomplished. Because it was a full payment for our sins. Likewise. It's not the acts we do towards others that demonstrates our love for them. And our Lord. But what it benefits them. And how it glorifies the Lord. Otherwise. We can get puffed up. We become prideful. Look at all the things that I'm doing for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. In that moment, it's like, eh, you just missed out on that blessing. Because we are very much inclined to boast in the act, look at what I did for you. And it can be expressed in different ways. Not, Not just verbally. It can be expressed in different ways. Careful. We need to simply rejoice at how others benefit from our acts of love toward them. That's it. Let's rejoice. We see, the, we see the benefit and we rejoice. Oh, God is so good. Thank you for using me. If just in a little way. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each 
of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are to be charitable, hospitable, generous, benevolent, and happy to live for the benefit of others and the glory of God. But always remember that it is not the perceived need, but the actual need that matters because there are many perceived needs. You know, we, we can say, I need this and I need that. We can say it every day. There are many things that we perceive as needs, right? But when giving a person what he perceives he needs, but in doing so, we understand that it will not benefit them, but harm them, then the loving thing to do is not to give them more, but to withhold what they ask for. Even if it is nothing. And even if you lose them as a friend or impact your relationship if they're family. You get upset with you. I don't want them to be upset with you. Well, how about if you you'd consider the Lord in the midst of it all? Have you considered him? What does he want? What does he desire? Are you first and foremost concerned about your relationship with him? Or are you more concerned about your relationship with your friend or with a relative? Because in Matthew 6.33 it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God knows exactly what you need. He'll provide for you. So as we read here, don't just say you love Act in love toward God and others. By this we know love and we know eternal life in Christ. So number one, love one another. Nothing's changed. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Secondly, you must rule over sin. That's up to us individually. We must choose well. Genesis 4, 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Romans 6, 11 says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, sin does not have the power that it once had prior to you coming to life from death in Christ as you place your trust and your faith in him as Lord and Savior. And finally, this is love. That we live as living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 again, it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, it's a reasonable response to the love that has already been demonstrated to us. Through Christ by the Father. Godly agape love is a love that acts for the benefit of others and for the glory of God according to his will at the expense of our own lives. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to give ourselves to the Lord to be used as living sacrifices? It's reasonable. It should be our our response to him. So let's consider the love of God and be compelled 
by that love to act in the same way toward him and others and know that we belong to him and know that we have eternal life. May each and every one of us know that. If you're here, you don't know that. You don't know whether you have eternal life. You don't know if you're saved, if Jesus is your Lord. Then think about the things that we just went over. Because one thing is, is clear. This is, this is very plain. And it's, it's not difficult to understand. So I, I pray. As the Lord's desire is that none should perish. But that everyone should reach repentance. I would pray if you're here and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. That, that this very moment you would surrender your life to Christ and you would, you would cry out to him to forgive you of your sins and to be your Lord and your Savior. And you can know that right where you are, pray and ask the Lord to do that, to move in your own heart, in your own life. And you will have a desire for things, the things of God that you never thought possible, as I never thought they were possible. But God gave me a new heart. He gave me a new life, a new hope, a new purpose. And he desires to do the same thing for you at this very moment. For everyone else the church, may you be encouraged, refined, strengthened, built up in the word of God. May we be a people who expresses this love toward one another that others may see that and know that we belong to him as we are assured of the fact that we have eternal life. And when we, one day we will see him in all of his glory. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather together as your people and, Lord, worship you and praise you and, and Lord, be reminded and, and be, be taught your word in such a way, Lord, that, that it benefits the hearer. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for this time. Lord, and I ask that your word would, would resonate in our hearts, Lord, that we would meditate on your word, think about it, and apply it in such a way that it, it does express a trust in you, our faith in you, and honors and glorifies you before others who perhaps don't know you. So, Father, I thank you, Lord. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name.